This is 365 Honest Questions About the Bible. I am your long-suffering host, Dante Stagg. Today, we are on question 24. What's up with the Ark of the Covenant? Now, before we get started, this week is a very special week because it happens to be something of a crossover episode or a crossover week for us. Here at 365, we're good friends with another podcast, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. The creator of that podcast, John Hagedorn, has given me the opportunity to guest host a past episode of his history podcast. And this week we're doing something of a crossover wherein we're dealing with the Ark of the Covenant strictly from a historical standpoint and asking the question, what happened to it? And coming up with 10 theories about where the Ark of the Covenant landed. So if you're one of my regular listeners, I highly recommend that specific podcast is hosted by me. Go over to 1001, listen to that podcast, and we'll be dealing with the same issue, you know, the Ark of the Covenant, but from a different lens. If, however, you're someone from 1001 and you're coming and visiting us, welcome. We're going to be dealing with the Ark of the Covenant more from a biblical lens today and kind of asking a different question. And for everyone, we'll talk more about this crossover week, crossover podcast, and give you details about how to find the 1001 podcast at the end of the program. So stay tuned. But enough chit-chat, enough business. Let's get into this. Here we go. As I was researching and finding all these theories about what happened to the Ark of the Covenant, it occurred to me that I need to be an old person. Because if TV's taught me anything, it's that old people are best at solving mysteries. Right? You've got Matlock. I mean, he's a lawyer, but, you know, he's kind of solving mysteries in a way. Then you got Murder, She Wrote, Diagnosis Murder, The Father Dowling Mysteries, if you remember those in the late 80s, early 90s, I believe, where a Chicago priest is out solving stuff. And then Columbo, of course, which he wasn't necessarily a very old man, but he acted kind of curmudgeon and old, so I think that counts. So maybe if I just act curmudgeon I could actually get to the bottom of this Ark of the Covenant business. But as it stands, I'm still young enough, I guess, where glorious insight is not at my fingertips, and I can't just say one last thing and magically come up with the answer to where in the world God put the Ark of the Covenant. So alas, we're left once again with the uncomfortable tension of not having an answer to a specific question. I should also say, if you're new to this podcast, here at 365 Honest Questions, I'm trying to be something like the opposite of the Bible Answer Man. Every week we look at organic questions I come across in the Bible, and rather than trying to give you a dogmatic answer, oftentimes we'll vet various theories or answers to the question, but... The point is not to leave with a specific answer. The point is to wrestle in the muck, the tension of not having our questions answered. And from my perspective, I am a Christian and I believe that's part of worship is not just giving an answer, but worshiping in the tension of unknowns. And also we try to make this podcast very entertaining, both for the Christian and the atheist. I'm not here to alienate anyone. And my goal is that I'm informative both to the Christian who sees this program as part of maybe their weekly worship as well as the atheist or the agnostic who is just intrigued or wants to know more about the Bible and and the type of questions that one comes across when they're trying to honestly read the text. Anyway, we're dealing with the Ark of the Covenant. And again, my aim in doing this episode was to try to find clues biblically for what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. But as I started delving into every passage in the Bible that talks about the Ark of the Covenant, it occurred to me that actually what happened to it is kind of one of the lesser questions I have. That's why I decided to name this episode What's Up with the Ark of the Covenant because I want to really encompass not just the idea of what happened to it, but what 
what was God really intending for it from the beginning? I don't know. I don't I don't know if I get it as a whole. <laughs> like what's what's the point of the Ark of the Covenant, God? Because on the out front, it seems like it's like the centerpiece of how God told us to worship him, at least in, you know, the Israelite times, the Old Testament times. So it held a very central position in ceremony, in ritual. And then without even a word of it, it seems like, bam, it's gone. It's disappeared. The center point of the faith is now absent without even as much as the throwaway line of, and because I'm angry at you, I'm destroying the ark or something like that. So I have a list here of five confusing things about the Ark of the Covenant that I came across. And we're just going to plow through these one by one. So the first thing we should wrap our minds around, of course, if we're asking questions about the Ark of the Covenant, is what is it and what's inside of it? The actual what is it is very plain and simple. It's laid out. God gives Moses very specific directions on how to build this thing. So it's a wooden box covered in gold, and then it has cherubim on either side of the rectangle. And then at the center, God says that's where his mercy seat is. That's where he will literally come down and sit and dwell. And then on the outside of this golden rectangle, there are rings made so that wooden poles can go through the rings and people can carry the Ark of the Covenant without ever having to touch it. This becomes very important, fatally important, later on. Now, confusing thing number one. What's actually inside of the Ark of the Covenant? If you're a Christian reading from the New Testament... The question seems fairly straightforward to answer, because the writer of Hebrews, in chapter 9 of his letter, verses 3 through 5, states it plainly, and I quote, Behind the second curtain was a second section called the Most Holy Place, or the Holy of Holies. Having the golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant covered in all sides with gold, in which, so inside of the Ark of the Covenant, was a golden urn holding the manna, and Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things, we cannot now speak in detail, (laughs) which is interesting. I guess that's just a reference saying the writer of Hebrews can't speak in detail because the Ark of the Covenant is no longer around. But there you have it. What's in the Ark of the Covenant? According to the writer of Hebrews, the Ten Commandments. Those are the tablets of the covenant that he talks about. Aaron's staff. Aaron, of course, being the brother of Moses and a golden urn holding manna. That's the manna, the bread-like substance that God caused to appear in the wilderness for the Israelites to eat. So those three things. Seems straightforward. But here's the thing. The Old Testament, the book of 1 Kings, seems to dispute this. This is 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 9. There was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone that Moses put there at Horeb. This is specifically talking about the Ark of the Covenant, and there's nothing in there but the Ten Commandments. In this passage, 1 Kings chapter 8, this is Solomon putting the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, in the temple he just built. So it's long after, hundreds of years after the Ark of the Covenant's been built, long after Aaron's died and been buried, long after the manna appeared. So one would have to argue that Aaron's rod and the manna were put in the Ark of the Covenant after the Ark was already in the Holy of Holies. Which seems very strange, because if you're looking at the history of the Ark of the Covenant, this is like already two-thirds of the way in its history, you know, before it disappears off the face of the earth. And of course, again, hundreds of years after those two artifacts appeared on the scene. So in order for the writer of Hebrews to be correct, and the first king's account to be correct, someone would have had to add to the Ark of the Covenant but the narrative's silent on this issue. So why is there this incongruity about what's in it? And we're just getting started here, folks, with the confusing things. Second confusing thing. Now, I've brought this one up before 
to other people, and most other people that I talk don't seem to think that this is a big deal, but it gets under my skin for some reason. And this simply comes out of the Ten Commandments. So, Exodus 20. If you've seen the Ten Commandments, the old Charlton Heston film, then I'm sure you have this scene emblazoned on your memory. This is reading directly when the Ten Commandments are given, Exodus 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And here's where we get commandment number one. You shall have no other gods before me. Here's where we get commandment number two. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. So what's disturbing to me about this? You shall not make a carved image of anything of heaven. But the very thing that holds these Ten Commandments is a rectangular box that has two cherubim carved into it, two carved angels. Well, that seems like something that's from above. So that always, I don't know, it just seems incongruent once again. I think I might be the only voice on that. I think everyone else is okay with it because it's like a direct thing from God and people aren't worshiping the angels themselves, but to me it's confusing. Then we have the really fun story of the Philistines getting the Ark of the Covenant, stealing the Ark of the Covenant away from Israel. So the basic story comes from us in 1 Samuel chapter 6, wherein the Philistines raid Israel, they take the Ark of the Covenant, and the Philistines take it to their capital city, Ashdod, and they put it, I guess, in a holy place right next to one of their gods, Dagon, and calamity ensues. And it seems like from that moment then, it's like one of those fun sitcom episodes where treacherous things just keep happening, man. Like, one day, the Ark of the Covenant's in there, it's right next to Ashdod, and, like, the Ashdod statue has its head cut off. Another day, it's just, like, completely busted. It's got its arms severed off. So it's like Ashdod and the Ark of the Covenant are having, like, midnight brawls, and the Ark of the Covenant's just whipping on Ashdod. So that story, uh, it's amusing, and, and I should also add, more than that, in Ashdod... The people also complain that they're getting tumors and apparently there's an overflow, an excess, a preponderance of mice running around Ashdod suddenly. And so they're saying like, look, this Ark of the Covenant, it's really bothering us. So they send it to another city and that other city, everyone gets tumors. And it says very quickly, like the town goes into a panic because like the Ark of the Covenant's just laying havoc to everyone, apparently. So here's the Philistines plan. They put the Ark of the Covenant on a cart being directed by two cows. And those two cows are just going to walk until they hit Israel. So I want to pick up the story there. This is 1 Samuel chapter 6, starting in verse 12. And the cows went straight in the direction of Beth Shemesh, along one highway, lowing as they went. They turned neither to the right nor to the left, and the lords of the Philistines went after them as far as the border of Beth Shemesh. Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley, and when they lifted up their eyes and saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there, and they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it, in which were the golden figures, and set them upon the great stone. So stopping there for a moment, the Ark of the Covenant comes back to Israel and it comes to this little town of Beth Shemesh and everyone is super happy. All the people of the little village or town get excited, they worship, they rejoice. And here's just five verses later, starting in verse 19. And he, that's God, struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the Ark of the Lord. Seventy men of them. God struck seventy men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. Then the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? So God strikes down 70 people of this small little town. 
I guess just for looking at the thing. It doesn't say anyone touched it, which seemed to be the rule of the day before, that if anyone touched the Ark of the Covenant, that's when they were hurt. And even though everyone's excited to have the Ark of the Covenant back, God kills 70 of them. That's a good number of people. I would be a little upset if 70 of my fellow townsmen were just randomly killed because two cows happened to walk into town with this sacred object. And the next confusing thing comes in 2 Samuel 6. So King David and his friends are transporting the Ark of the Covenant in this passage. Chapter 6, verse 6 says, And when they came to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah, that's the name of the guy, put out his hand to the Ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen had stumbled. Some oxen are carrying it on a cart, and the ox stumbled, so the Ark of the Covenant was going to fall down and hit the ground. Uzzah puts out his hand to stop this thing from falling down, and... Verse 7, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error, and he died there beside the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had burst forth against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the God come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. City of David is Jerusalem. So here's the story. Uzzah's probably a really good guy. He's one of David's friends, I'm sure. And he dies trying to save the Ark of the Covenant from falling down. And David's really angry with God because of this. Like, look, God, we were just trying to do a good thing here. This guy accidentally touches it or, you know, touches it to try to save disaster. And he's dead. And he's dead now. I don't want to take it to my city if you're just going to kill everyone. So David refuses to go into the city, but then it stays in this town kind of, I guess, in the middle of nowhere, and everything in that town is blessed, and wonderful things happen. You know, it's like the opposite of when the Ark of the Covenant was in Ashdod or, or in the other towns of the Philistines. Instead of horrible things happening, wonderful things, rainbows are bursting forth everywhere, and the people are blessed, and David's like, whoa, I want that blessing in my town. So then he does indeed take the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem, where it stays, and eventually David's son, Solomon, builds the temple and puts the Ark in the Holy of Holies, and so on. And then, of course, after all that, our final confusing thing about the Ark of the Covenant is then why is the narrative, why is the story of the Ark of the Covenant suddenly blank, suddenly gone? As we talk about in the 1001 podcast, there's a couple more small references to the Ark of the Covenant, but then at least by 586 BC, the time of the Babylonian exile, the narrative on the Ark of the Covenant is blank, and it's, it's gone. And we talk about the 10 different theories of where the Ark of the Covenant could be or what happened to it. But essentially, it boils down to it was either hidden by man, it was hidden by God, or it was destroyed by man. All the options are essentially variants of those three possibilities. I recently watched the movie Gone Girl, which was way more intense than I was expecting. and Really bloody and, and gross in a lot of ways. But without spoiling that movie, kind of there's this creeping feeling at least through the first half of the film of this woman that's gone missing and you kind of feel like did you do this yourself woman is this part of some sort of bigger plan and that's kind of my takeaway is this like conniving conspiratory conniving feeling like god you're purposefully making this disappear for some reason and you're not really telling us that reason The closest we get to any sort of explanation is in Jeremiah 3.16, which reads, And when you have multiplied and increased in the land, in those days, declares the Lord, they shall no more say, The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. It shall not come to mind, or be remembered, or missed. It shall not be made again. So this is a prophecy of blessing. At this moment, when Jeremiah is writing this down during the reign of King Josiah, the Ark of the Covenant is still safely in the Holy of Holies. So this prophecy comes true. 
And certainly from a Christian perspective, we say to ourselves, yeah, we don't need the Ark of the Covenant. We have Jesus now. Even that, you know, we talked about in an earlier episode about the whole big deal about the near sacrifice of Isaac and how God seems to be interested in in symbolism and foreshadowing. So why not use this incident if you're God, and make a bigger deal out of foreshadow or explain, like, this is what I'm doing by having the Ark of the Covenant go away. Or it's because you were evil, Israel, that I'm taking it away. And my, my thought process through all this is, God is just unpredictable. He's an unpredictable dude. And if you're an atheist, I presume you might be thinking something along the lines of, well, it's just not good storytelling, or it's just, you know, all these different people writing different things through different centuries, so it doesn't add up. And we should expect that because it's not meant to be one big story. But I would counter, oh atheist, in this respect that when you come across geniuses, the, the interesting thing about people that are smarter than you, when you talk to them, they're unpredictable because they can think up solutions and they can think up answers that are beyond your scope, that are beyond what you can come up with. So God, by his very nature, being the you know smartest dude around, is going to be unpredictable because he's thinking on a level that we're not thinking on. But I also call him unpredictable because, I don't know, any way you slice it, his presence comes and goes. And this is another instance with the Ark of the Covenant where it's there, it's there for a while, and then it leaves. And in this instance, without any explanation. So I think we see this three times in the Bible, at least three times, you know, overtly. You've got the temple and you've got the Ark of the Covenant that God says he physically dwells in. You know, he sits on that mercy seat. We have this idea of the Shekinah glory of God, this mist, this cloud of his reign. But then it goes away without really explanation. You know, first, like 600 years, just gone, girl, gone, baby, gone. And then Jesus is on the scene, the wonderful counselor, the mighty man of God. And he serves on earth for 33 years, dies, he resurrects. But he's only around, you know, a few days after his resurrection, and then he's back up in heaven. In that way, there must have been pain, there must have been some ache in people like Peter and John, who got to, you know, share meals with Jesus and, you know, sleep in a dog pile with Jesus. I don't know if that actually happened, but in the movie Jesus Christ Superstar, they all fall asleep in like a big heap. And so that's now become my picture of what people in olden times did when they were hanging out. They would just sleep in doggy piles. Because... Doggy piles are the best. I know it gets weird with, you know, gender and and sexuality when we hit puberty, but when you're a little kid and you're in a doggy pile, it's great. It's the best. That's one of the reasons why I really, really love the movie Where the Wild Things Are. You know, this little kid goes to this island of, like, giant beasts, but they're kind of friendly beasts, and and they sleep in a big dog pile, and it's awesome, and it it brings out all the feelings of childhood innocence, and I'm way off topic, (laughs) but God's dogpiling presence disappears from us. As Jesus says, he's with us always in spirit, yes, but physically, you know, Peter must have mourned in some way or ached for those days when he can look Jesus in the eyes and sit next to him and talk about how this bread tastes or this fish tastes, but that's gone. And in a similar way, in this era that we call, you know, the church era, the era where we have the Holy Spirit, we who are Christians, we who believe in the Holy Spirit. But even in that, I've felt times in my life where I'm just dry and I'm praying or I'm trying to talk to God and I just don't feel his presence at all or I don't feel a connection and I feel like I'm phoning it in. And then other times where I feel like I'm bopping. I'm bopping with the Lord. I'm dogpiling. Hashtag dogpiling. Let's get that. No, sorry. Moving away from the dogpiling. Um, <laughs> there's a 16th century poet and, and Christian mystic, this guy called John of the Cross, and he kind of coined the phrase 
dark night of the soul. And a bunch of theologians, a bunch of writers and poets have, have picked up on that phrase over the centuries now. And it kind of depicts kind of this idea that believers, followers of God, go through these fruitful times when they feel like they're in sync with him and can hear his voice and can hear his commandments. And then times also when he just seems to be completely absent from the picture without any explanation. It's kind of like Job, you know, the story of Job where Job's blessed with everything and then one day hell comes on earth because everything in the world goes wrong for him and God doesn't answer. He's just gone. Just like the Ark of the Covenant is just gone. And I don't know why he does that. It's certainly trying. It's certainly testing. I just don't know. I want to close today with a passage out of the beginning of the book of Isaiah. And the reason I want to read this is because we become so fixated on things like the Ark of the Covenant. And we become fixated, I think, even in our conception of who God is. You know, it sounds cliche, but we all put God into this box of we understand God to be this, 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 and this. But for better or worse, that box is always going to be wrong. So we have to keep changing it. We have to allow that to be moldable, I believe. And maybe that's why God comes and goes. He gives the Ark of the Covenant and then he takes it away. And then he brings his presence back in a, in a new way. So we can get a different angle, a different view of who God is himself. So I'll close with this passage. This is Isaiah chapter 1 verses 11 through 20. This is God speaking. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifice, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you the trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's cause. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So especially the first part of that passage. You know, he says, I hate your worship when you're running through my temple. I hate your incense. I hate your Sabbaths and your new moons and all these things. And your offerings of bulls. I despise them. He says all these things. But these are all things God has called the Jewish people to do. Yet here he says he hates them. And the intention here, what he's getting at, it's certainly easy enough to decode. It's simply that God cares about the heart. God cares about your relationship with him more than he cares about the rituals and the sacrifices. He doesn't seem to be a God that is about, do this and I'll be happy with you. Do thing A and you'll get into heaven. Do thing A and I'll be pleased with you. It doesn't seem to be how he works. He's not an equation God. So maybe the removal of the Ark of the Covenant, all this was... Just another way to to make us feel his absence, to make us feel the lack, to make us reevaluate who he is and who we are in light of him. All right, so that's as close as you're going to get to an answer from me, which is honestly more of an answer than I usually give, so there you have it. All right, so we said at the beginning of this episode, this is a special crossover edition of the podcast. So we look at 10 
fun theories of what happened to the Ark of the Covenant over at 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries. The really fun theories, we go to Ethiopia, Zimbabwe, even Ireland in search of the Ark of the Covenant. I believe the name of the episode is going to be Questions of the Lost Ark. You know, kind of a playoff of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And so if you want to listen to that podcast, you can find links to it in our show notes page. Or you can search the title, 1001 Heroes, Legends, Histories, and Mysteries, in iTunes or Stitcher or anywhere else you're getting your podcasts. Or you can also visit his Facebook page, facebook.com slash 1001heroes. That's facebook.com slash 1001heroes. The other way to get a hold of this podcast and all of the 1001 archive is to go to their website at 1001storiespodcast.com. That's 1001storiespodcast.com. I highly recommend you listen to that episode, because it's just me again. So if you like me, you'll like that episode, hopefully. And you should check out his other stuff. He just did a real fascinating episode on John DeLorean, the legendary GM auto designer who made the DeLorean car that's in all the Back to the Future movies. Fascinating little story, and, and this podcast is really taking off, so you should get on the bandwagon and listen to it. And if you've joined us today from 1001, thanks. Come back again, please. One last note. Next week, question 25 is going to be the first episode we're doing that's specifically dealing with a listener's question. So I'm really looking forward to that. Please come back to hear that. This is Dante Stack signing off. Peace be the journey. Three hundred sixty-five honest questions is produced by myself, Dante Stack. Guys, you can find a whole lot more stuff on my website, DanteStack.com. Go there, find other goodies, and as always, if you want free stickers for this podcast and my other podcast, Solve the World. Solve the World, by the way, is a week-by-week fictionalized story that I've made. I'm trying to imitate like the best of TV shows these days, where they have a well-plotted, well-paced show that unravels a story over a season or two seasons or a three season arc i'm trying to do that in weekly podcast form with sound effects music and a fully written story so check that out if you like stickers and you want stickers for this podcast and that podcast all you got to do is write a review for me on itunes Uh, you can find instructions on how to do that on dantestack.com thanks guys see you next week